they need to diversify their their staff and also who they're letting into their program because right now it's incredibly difficult for people of color to find a counselor that even or a therapist that even remotely looks like them Hello and welcome to Point of Entry, a podcast created and hosted by the Refugee Centre. Join us as we explore the experiences and challenges faced by many newcomers to Canada at various stages in their journeys. Transcending Borders, Point of Entry offers an exclusive into the voices behind the numbers and the policies behind the action. Travel alongside the Refugee Centre as our alternating hosts, as well as our captivating guests, guide us through the resettlement process in Canada and introduce us to the inner workings of grassroots organizations here in Montreal. Hello, my name is Natasha, and I am the Communications Coordinator at the Refugee Centre, and I'm very excited to be your host for today's episode. Today, I will be speaking with Tony Alfonso, the Outreach Coordinator at AMI Quebec. AMI Quebec is a nonprofit organization that helps families manage the effects of mental illness through support, education, guidance, and advocacy. Hi, Tony. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, thanks for um, having me. <laughs> Firstly, would you like to introduce yourself and what your role is at AMI Quebec? Yeah. Hi, I'm Tony. Um, So my role at AMI Quebec is outreach coordinator, which means in like real life terms, it means my goal is to get anybody and everybody talking about mental health and mental illness. Um, AMI Quebec focuses on caregivers. That is our primary role. Um, So oftentimes we find that people don't call themselves a caregiver and are still taking on that role as caregiver, especially when we, we, we talk about refugees and immigrant families. This is a huge burden that that newcomers are putting on themselves uh, to take care of their family members, especially if they're the only one who speaks French or English in their household. Um, so we focus on that caregiver. So their mental health, their mental, their like how they can deal with family members who are living with mental illness, or just even just to talk about it. So I get presentations in schools, community organizations, CJEPs. Uh, I talk with businesses to try to help their like HR departments work on developing policies to better address mental health issues in their, their workers. I do a little bit of everything. There's not one thing that I do. If it's outreach, if it's talking about mental health and mental illness, that's, I'm, I'm all about it. Amazing. So you really come at mental illness from all the different angles. Yeah. Our organization really, we try to approach it from as many angles as possible because there's no one size, one shoe size fits all approach. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, that being said, overall, could you give us a little bit of a rundown about what services AMI Quebec provides? Yeah, I mean, we could talk for an hour about just like <laughs> the services that we provide. So I'll try to be brief. Um, so we offer short term counseling for caregivers. That is one of our bigger. That's one of our like. I don't know if I want to say it's our bigger services. It's but it's one of our services that I think is probably the most important in terms of dealing with individuals at an individual level. Um, we have this short-term counseling is just it's not meant to be long-term it's not meant to like replace regular therapy it's just to get you through difficult times to help you to create a plan to help you get moving forward with like 
how you're dealing with the stresses of being a caregiver or um, how to manage your loved one's emotions and stuff like that in your own household and in your life. Um, We also offer support groups, which are a drop-in service every three Mondays a month from topics from anxiety, depression, uh, hoarding, like we cover everything. And there's one specifically just for families and friends um, where people living with mental illness, they have other groups that they can go to, but this one is for family and friends to kind of like talk about their stories and help each other out in, in ways that make sense. Um, I do the outreach program. We have a young carers program where we're specifically focusing on young carers. So young carers is, you know, 12 to 25 about, um, What else? We have workshops that happen uh, throughout the year on a variety of topics from anger management, creating boundaries. Um, We do a lot of stuff. Uh, The best thing I can say is to check out our calendar on our website because that really gives you a, a like everything that's going on, we we put it out quarterly, uh, what's going on in the next three months. Okay, so is that the best way for people to be able to access your services is through your website? Yeah, right now, everything is virtual. We aren't offering any in-person services because of COVID. Um, We have been, this is actually, I think today is our two-year anniversary of starting to work from home. uh, Us as well. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know. anniversary. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Um, We do hope to start offering in-person services again, but we are in no rush to um, to have that instability. We don't want to start offering in-person services and then have to cancel those in-person services because caseloads increase. So we're, we're taking our time and playing it safe. You know, we mm. we're basically trying to cater to an immunocompromised community as right. our like baseline. So that way we're not putting other people at risk unnecessarily. Right. So that being said, obviously uh, us as a nonprofit as well, transitioned to being online. What, um, have you noticed about the accessibility of the services? Because so, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. I know that in the beginning, our numbers decreased quite a bit, um, in terms of who was accessing our service. And I think that just had to do with people being unsure of what was going on in the world. And I think right now our numbers are higher across the board than they were pre pandemic that, all of our services across the board. So, so, you know, this is like, we were experiencing growth. And so there was a dip and now we're back at, you know, in the, in two years, we're back at over where we were when we started the pandemic that includes our support groups our counseling. Everything is is higher now, Um, which is good. That means that people are, are using our services. It means that because we're virtual, we haven't lost reach. We haven't been able to like, if anything, I think our services have expanded. Um, you know, there are issues with in-person services, with mobility, with being able to get off of work for, you know, a, an hour counseling session isn't just an hour. It's yeah. that 45 minute commute before and after. And if you have a family member that you're taking care of full time, you know, taking out two and a half hours to three hours of your day to go to counseling can be demanding yeah. of your schedule. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we've noticed some of the same trends as well, that in a way it has improved the accessibility for certain individuals. So it's quite interesting to now have learned that and then maybe integrating that into whatever normal may be whenever it comes, or maybe this is it, but one one of the adaptations we've made too, is that we use Google meet for all of our services and that allows people to call in on a regular telephone. And I think that that's 
Um, that's the key because there are people who do not have internet period. The number is very small in terms of percentage of Canadians. However, that those people do exist and we're trying to make sure that they have access to our services. And there's also like technology difficulties, right? Like people who just don't understand how computers work, how to get their cameras to work. And so, you know, if you have a telephone, doesn't even have to be a smartphone. We can still, you can still access our services. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So one last question about your services, but as yeah. the Refugee Center, obviously we um, work with individuals of all different statuses. Yeah. Who is able to access Ami Quebec's services? Anyone. Anyone is able to access our services. We do primarily serve the Anglophone population. Um, okay. So that's, you know, that can be a difficult thing to overcome. That being said, we don't turn anyone away. So if you, you know, if you speak French, we have people who can speak French who can help you. Um, but our, our services are geared towards the Anglophone population because there is a lack of services for Anglophones in Quebec right. specifically. Um, and also if we can't help you, we that's one of the things we do is we try to find where you can get help. Um, we don't ask for RAMQ cards. We don't ask for status. I mean, you don't even have to give us your real name if you don't want to, you know, like it's okay. just okay we're good to know none of that matters (laughs) okay great that's great yeah um okay jumping off what you had said about uh what you do as the outreach coordinator and kind of addressing mental health from all these different angles um why do you feel that isn't it is important to raise awareness and destigmatize mental illness i mean mental illness is incredibly stigmatized across all cultures right and i know that people in Canada and the U S like to pat themselves on the back and say, Oh, we're really like, we're getting better, but it's still really bad. It's still really bad. You know, like, um, growing up, you know, I never in school, we never talked about mental health and mental illness. And it's really great. I like what I love to see is that I do a lot of presentations in high schools and the language around mental health is so much more advanced for the youth of today than it was when I was growing up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not even that old. I'm 39. Right. So like I am old, but like, you know, I have a 15 year old son and his peers and his cohort and his kids, his age, they're just so much more well-versed in how to talk about mental health. And I think that that's a good thing. Um, And I, 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 I look forward to the youth, you know, starting to enter the workforce and entering and, and bringing this language into the workforce and the old guard of like, you know, gray haired white men being like, just tough it out. Like, disappearing because yeah. that's yeah you know that's that's not how we deal with mental health and that's Absolutely. not how we deal with mental illness um and that stigma is still there because of that old view of having a stoic approach and just like that's private business right like, i mean sure some of it is private but at the same time we are all in this together so Absolutely. you know we can <laughs> we can't do this alone Absolutely. so you have noticed a shift in the youth do- is there anything you think that can be attributed to? I mean, I think it's just about everybody starting to talk. And 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 I think that, you know, there are people who are in positions of power that are noticing that mental health is an issue. And so the sooner we get to talk about it, the better it is in the long term. And I think that that's, that's where that shift is starting to change. And so the fact that I'm even being invited into classrooms to talk about mental health is a huge change 
a huge sure. change. And even in the past, you know, I've been in this position for four years now. And in the past four years, you can see the difference in what kids understand and what they don't. Um, and, 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 you know, and I can talk about anxiety and stress, which are, to be honest, those are the two biggest factors that the youth are experiencing is anxiety and stress, which, <laughs> I mean, I have all kinds of opinions about that, about like parenting and stuff. So, you know, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but the fact is that these kids feel like they can talk about it. Some of them, right? There still is stigma. There still is that issue, but it's opening up a lot more, um, hopefully, you know, and, and, and I think workplaces are starting to understand from a purely capitalist standpoint, which is the worst way to look at it. Yeah. But from, you know, they're starting to understand that not addressing mental health in the workplace costs them more money. Right. Interesting. Right. So if when I when I when I talk to HR departments and when I talk to managers, if that's the approach I have to take, if that's what gets them to 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 click, then that's yeah. what I do. Right. I try to try to cater my language to who I'm speaking to. If I'm speaking to, you know, five grade five kids, it's going to be different than I'm speaking to, you know, C-level execs. Um, But the goal is all the same. On March 31st, the Refugee Center held a virtual town hall on racism and discrimination in Quebec with panelists from UNHCR, Revive NCC, the South Asian Women's Center, Ajir, Project Genesis, and the Concordia Student Union. The town hall discussion highlighted many barriers that BIPOC and newcomer communities and individuals face in matters of healthcare, society, bureaucracy, and immigration. When we were discussing each topic, community organizers and participants named and identified various barriers to social participation, allowing for a brainstorming session on policy solutions that can address the issues of the community. Stay tuned for our post-town hall campaign to see what solutions came from our event, and keep your eyes open for future town hall events. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the rest of the episode. What advice would you give to someone who is trying to destigmatize mental health, whether that be within their circle, their family, their community? And are there any concrete and sustainable steps that someone could take that you would recommend? I think the most concrete, the the, the biggest step is just to, to talk about it. Don't be afraid to say things and like reaching out for help. And I think modeling um you know, modeling say, and, and, and making it normalizing discussing mental health topics is the biggest way to, de- to destigmatize mental health. You know, we, can, we don't have to whisper in the corner about it, you know, talking about, and if we want to talk about it in the workplace, talking about burning out, saying it, addressing it, and naming it. I think that that's a, that's a big thing to do. And amongst our friends, like when someone's having a hard time in, in your circle, reaching out sometimes. I think oftentimes uh, people want to help and they want to offer solutions um, when the biggest thing that people want is just someone to listen. And I think that's the hardest thing. I mean, even for me, I'm a very solutions oriented person. So if someone comes to me and they says, I'm having a hard time, I'm like, okay, what can I do to help? Not what do you want, you know, ask them, do you want me to listen? Or do you want me to help these are, or do you want me to come up with solutions? This is a, that's a good approach to take is just asking what someone is looking for. Interesting. Okay. Absolutely. That's great advice. Um, touching back on the topic of COVID-19, yeah. um, what, 
what role do you feel that COVID-19 has played on mental illness here in Quebec? Um, I know that's a huge question. Yeah, it's a really big question. And I think it it, it depends on when you look at, at, um, at what stage of COVID you're looking at. Right. I think that in the beginning, as with any like catastrophe, um, mental health across the board was like not as bad because people found a unifying force. They were working together towards this like common goal. There was a thing. And so you saw suicide rates drop in the early stages of COVID. Now they've increased. Everything has increased. All the mental health issues have increased. Everything has gotten worse, basically. Um, and what we've seen is huge levels of unsurety, anxiety, stress, and just people just not knowing what's going on. Um, that's not even getting into like the polarization of like what COVID has done and the politicization of vaccines and all of that and how that affects families in and of itself. But just in general, I think there's a big there's higher levels of anxiety and stress just around what is going to happen next. Um, you know, I think right now people are in uh, a state, you know, we're in two years in and governments are starting to drop um, restrictions and all of that. And it's having people have mixed emotions about it. Right. Some people are very stressed yeah. out about getting sick about, um, you know, hurting other people, but then you also have that hope that maybe this is all over and, you know, time will tell, I don't, I don't have the answers about what's going to, what's going to happen in the next six months. Yeah. Um, I try to just take it one day at a time. That's the best thing that I can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's my recommendation to people is, you know, do what you're comfortable with. Um, and, and, just try not to get too wrapped up in in the big picture right now. Uh, just yeah. no, that's good advice. <laughs> Definitely. Um, uh, based on this, and also not just due to COVID, but it has been observed that there is more demand than supply for mental health services at yeah. the moment. And like I mentioned, it seems to have been this way for a while, but it's yeah. been exacerbated by COVID. Yeah. Um, what is your take on this? And is there anything that Ami Quebec is doing to adapt? to this scenario? Yeah, so, I mean, the government in Quebec, governments over the past 30 years, uh, there's not one specific party, right? This is just the government, the big overarching government has been systematically and categorically uh, defunding public health. And I think that that's, it's starting to show how it's affecting people when we got put into this state of uh urgency i guess you could call it or emergency or you know a pandemic where we have people who need services and they can't get them there's wait lists there's there's not enough people the governments are defunding uh you know institutions because they they're politicizing language it's just like it's a bad look across the board right it's like they're putting money in all the wrong places or no money in any of the places um except for their pockets uh so um i think that at the end of the day the biggest change is going to be if the government decides to start funding or continue or refunding uh, mental health services, I think that that's the biggest thing. You know, we can say, oh, community groups need to step up, but community groups often get their funding from the government, right? So it's like, okay, cool. Community groups are stepping up, but they aren't getting money from the government. The government is cutting 
in community group funding across the board. You know, they're like, they're making it harder to get funding. They're making it more difficult, more hoops and hurdles and like all these things. Um, I think that, you know, at ME, we, our team is expanding. That's to get to the second part of your question. You know, our team is, we just took on three new staff members in the past six months, which is, is good, but it's specifically to address the, the increase in demand that we've had and and to make sure that our staff doesn't burn out, you know, and mm-hmm. and they're not one specific area that we're focusing in. You know, we have we've hired an IT person because that's something that we needed for the past two years, yeah. you know, and, and that makes that takes the load off of our counselors to be able to say, oh, OK, well, you need you need help with IT care. Go to this person. I don't need to spend yeah. an hour trying to help you figure out how to get onto Google Meet. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like that's something that we have done directly to address it is we're we're trying to make sure we have enough staff to be able to address the needs that are coming to us, you know. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I think uh, we pride ourselves on is that we don't have two month wait lists to get services from us. Okay, um, interesting. On average, if you call us within four or five days, you'll be able to talk to somebody. Wow. Um, there's no, you know, we're not... You're not making appointments in August and you're calling in March, which is the case just about everywhere else. Um, We're really trying hard to make sure that we're on top of it. And now for a quick break to give you our What's Up segment with Lauren from TRC. This month at the Refugee Center, we are making our way back to in-center services, starting with our English and French conversation circles, English happening Saturdays at 1 p.m. and French Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. The Refugee Center is also starting a focus group for asylum seekers or claimants who have come from either Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Haiti, Bahamas, Chad, Burundi, Nepal, Cote d'Ivoire, or the Philippines due to climate-related issues and will be rewarded $100 for their participation. TRC is also proud to announce our new Art Hive workshop starting Saturday. Every Saturday from April 9th, aimed towards starting inclusion, respect, creativity, and learning. Finally, the Refugee Center is excited to present our third community talks workshop titled Knowing Your Rights, Seeking Asylum, geared towards the asylum seeker population and knowing their rights as claimants. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of Point of Entry. So we've, t- we've touched on a few things here, like destigmatization and allocation of funding. Yeah. <laughs> but is there anything? Yeah. And these are huge, huge elements. But is there anything else that you would add to that that you think needs to change in order to make mental health services more available and accessible in an ideal world? Like in an ideal, perfect world, what would that look like? Oh, man, that's a really like in a utopia. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think... I think everybody should be able to have access to the services that they need. I think that institutions um, need to diversify who they're letting into their uh, into their programs, right? I think that I, if you want to look at English programs specifically in Montreal, there is one counseling program, one school that offers counseling programs in Quebec. And, and that's McGill. And if you look, I, anyways, yeah, <laughs> they need to diversify their their staff and also who they're letting into their program. Because right now, it's incredibly difficult for people of color to find 
a counselor that even, or a therapist that even remotely looks like them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm Cuban. My, I'm an immigrant to Canada. My mother is an immigrant to the U S. Um, I would not be able to find a counselor who, you know, who looks and, ha- and, and understands, you know, that, experience and can speak to that and can help me work through what those issues are because there's a huge loss of a community when you move and when you leave a country to go to another country and not being able to walk outside and hear the language that you spoke at home in the street it's it's hard right and so when you when the counselors that you're seeing are white uh young women which is the majority of counselors that are coming through the system right now um it's difficult absolutely um i think yeah we, i don't know if uh, i even answered the question i i may have gone on a little bit of a rant there <laughs> no absolutely but it's a worthwhile rant <laughs> i think at the refugee center we definitely see that as well um and the need for it um yeah. so that definitely makes a lot of sense yeah so i think that more or less concludes all my questions but i just want to turn it over to you one more time if there's anything else you would like to add uh, check out our website, um, Quebec.org. That's if you want information, we have it. We have resources. There's so much information on our website. Uh, Diana, our website administrator person, uh, she puts in a lot of time to make sure that that website is up to date and has more resources than you know what to do with. Um, it's very friendly. And if the website doesn't work for you, give us a call and we'll be Perfect. able to, Perfect. we'll help you out. We will link the website in our, the description of the podcast, but could you just let us know what it is as well? Yeah, it's emmyquebec.org and our phone number, I should have this memorized. So I'm looking it up really quickly here. <laughs> it's 514-486-1448. So that's how you can reach us on the telephone. And then Connie is our uh, receptionist. She'll be able to, she knows all about everything. She's really, like, she's on it in terms of services that we either we offer or she'll make sure that we can find out what you need. Perfect. Um, that concludes this episode of Point of Entry. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining us today. Um, it was such a pleasure to learn more about AMI Quebec and all the services you provide to the Montreal community and beyond. To continue learning more about the Refugee Center, you can visit our website at therefugeecenter.org, as well as you can follow us on our social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you so much for listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah.